our God is, the one who does not leave the one behind. And I tell you what, that is such good news for you and for me because we are here today in this place. You're not on vacation this morning. You're not home this morning mowing your lawn. You are here this morning because the one who does not leave the one behind says you need to be here in my house so I can show my love and I can show my grace and I can show my power to you. You are not here by accident this morning. You are here because we serve a God whose heart says I don't want to leave anyone behind. That's why you're here this morning. We are so glad that you're here today in the house of God. My name is Daniel. I'm the community pastor here at Core Church, and it is my honor to get a chance to share with you today. We have been in this series called the Psalms of Summer, and the Psalms is a book, um, it's the longest book in the Bible, and it is a collection of prayers and songs and poetry, and man, it is just an amazing book of worship. So when it came uh, to this chance for me to speak, it just kind of, I, I just had this thought of, you know, it stands to reason since we're doing a series on the book of Psalms, which is the book of worship, and I'm the worship pastor, that I should probably talk about worship. And so that is what we are going to be doing today. And I think this song we just sang is such an amazing setup for what we're going to be talking about today. We are going to be in Psalm chapter 100. Psalm chapter 100. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 100. If you don't have a Bible, I just encourage you to download the Version Bible app on your smartphone, uh, tablet, device. Um, man, it's just the best Bible app. And so I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation, Psalm chapter 100. And um, man, I love it because we can read the whole chapter and it's not super long. So this is great. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. I wonder how many old school church people I have in here that when you read that line immediately, your mind, you just, you didn't want to, you didn't mean to, but in your mind, you just start saying, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his. Anybody here and know what I'm talking about? Thank you, my growing up in church people right there. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Father, we come before you this morning, and we are so happy, God, to be in your house. And God, I pray today that you would take us to a deeper understanding of who you are, a deeper understanding of what it means to worship you. God, a deeper understanding of why you're worthy to be worshiped. And so, God, today we just open up our hearts, we open up our minds, God, that you would speak to us, God, that you would challenge us today, God, that you would stretch us, and God, most of all, that we would leave from this place different, God, than when we came in, God. None of us are here by accident this morning, so we open up our heart, speak to us now, in Jesus' name we pray. Can I get a big amen from God's people? Amen. You guys can be seated. Man, thank you, worship team. It is always um, so amazing to sit out there and uh, just to be in the worship. Um, man, just, just such an amazing team we have. All right, so my oldest daughter, Olivia, by the way, today is Olivia's birthday. She turns eight. Um, 
Yes, yes. She, you don't have, I mean, you don't have to applaud. She's not here right now, you know, so it's, it's fine. But she turns eight today. So recently, Olivia has started taekwondo. And um, taekwondo, by the way, you know, it's, it's like the uh, national sport of Korea, which is pretty cool. And so she's been in taekwondo for like a few weeks. And um, so I got a chance on Fridays, I get a chance to take Olivia to taekwondo. And uh, she's at this cool new uh, gym or dojo, I don't know, what it's, it's this taekwondo teaching facility, um, you know, at 91st. And, and so I go in, and on Friday, so this is my first Friday to, to sit with her, and I go in, and, and I tell you, it, it's kind of cool, you know, you walk in, and like there's this big Korean flag on, um, in the, the place where they, they do the taekwondoing, and um, you know, by the way, for those of you who may not know, I, I'm Korean, I'm, I'm adopted, and uh, so I'm from Korea, but I was raised here in the States, and um, so I go in, and all the guys, I want to tell you something. In this moment, when I'm, when I'm taking Olivia into the taekwondo class, you know, I see all this, and a lot of her instructors are Korean, and there's also a lot of Korean people in, in the, you know, the class, and a lot of Korean parents and stuff, and I want to tell you something, guys. I have, I have never been more aware of how Korean I am, and also at the same time, how not Korean I am. <laughs> This realization just hit me like a ton of bricks because I want to tell you something. Everyone else knew what was going on in the Taekwondo teaching facility except me. But because I'm Korean, I, they all looked at me like I was supposed to know what's going on here. And I had no idea. Like, can I give you a couple of four examples? For example, they bow like all the time. But there's like rules to the bowing. And I don't know the rules to the bowing, like, you know, I see the other Korean people come in, and they're, like, bowing to people, and so I, I like, try to bow, but I don't know how to, like, bow properly, I don't know if you keep your head up, or if you're supposed to do, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do, and, and they, like, they go in, and, like, the, the guys bow when they go into the room, and, and, and I'm just like, man, are you supposed to bow before you go into, like, every room, so, you know, it's like, I go into the restroom, like, bow, I don't know what I'm bowing to at the restroom, but just, I don't want to offend anybody, you know, and, you know, it's like bowing to the kids. It's like, well, you're not supposed to bow to the kids because you're old. It's like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to fit in here. And they're bowing to everybody. And, you know, when I go in, uh, the first day, I, I, I tied Olivia's, you know, her white belt. And she went into the class. And, like, it didn't last five minutes before it, like, came undone. And so the, the Korean instructor comes up and, like, ties her white belt. And I swear he was looking through the glass at me like, I saw you tie. You don't know how to tie the belt? How come you, you're supposed to know? I'm like, I don't know how to tie the belt. It doesn't have a latch. It's just... It's, it just stays up by friction. I don't get that, you know. And, and, and the, probably the worst one of all is that so in Taekwondo, they, they count in Korean. So like the counting, and I know I, I like was raised around some Korean, and so I, I, I know the counting. So they count like, um, you know, it's like, hana, du, se, ne. It's like, but they, so I can count to four, okay. I, I got the, but, but the problem is in Taekwondo, they count to eight, I don't know to eight. I only know to four. And so when Olivia comes back and she's trying to work on this and I'm trying to help her, you know, it's like I'm trying to do the things with her. It's like, hana, du, se, ne. But I don't, know, I don't know past that. So, guys, I'm just like making it up after that. It's like, hana, du, se, ne. Rice, Samsung, Hyundai, Gangnam style. I, you know, it's just, I don't know. So today we're going to be talking about worship, and we're going to be talking about worshiping, specifically this time, worshiping in song and worshiping through song, and I think there's, there's three camps of people here in this room, and I think the first camp of people 
you feel exactly like I do at Taekwondo class when the worship is going on. You come in and you feel like, I feel like I'm supposed to know what's going on here. And everyone looks at me like I'm supposed to know what's going on. But in actuality, I have no idea what is going on. That you come into worship and you see people doing weird movements. They're raising their hands. They're clapping. Some of them may be bowing. I don't know. It's like worship power. But, you know, then they're doing these things. And you're like, I'm trying to fit in. I, I, I'm trying to do the thing, but I don't, everyone else is doing the thing, and I don't know what, what exactly I'm supposed to be doing. You know, they, they're using weird language that, that you want to try to understand. It's not like you're, you know, adverse to it or against it. You're trying to understand it, but they're using this weird language. They're like, what's going on? Like last week, we sang this song called Behold, and in the song, in one of the verses, there's this line that says, your spirit breathing holy fire within. And you see everyone just, oh, that's so good. And you're like, is the spirit like a dragon? He's breathing fire. It's like, it'd be kind of cool. Jesus, like, riding around on a dragon, like, slaying demons. And, and you're just off in, like, Lala. Everyone's sat down now, and you're just still standing thinking about Jesus, like, Game of Thrones style, riding a dragon, you know? <laughs> you want to fit in, but you're like, man, it's like, but I, I, just, I just don't quite get it. And there's, you know, I, I remember when we were at middle school camp, one of the students said uh, something I'll never forget. I'll never forget this. Because we're, ta- we're talking about, this idea of being expressive in worship and how to connect with God in worship. I remember him looking at the group and saying, you know, I'm just, I'm just scared. I don't want to raise my hands at the wrong time. Like, every, you know, that everyone else is raising their hands, and, and then I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to raise my hands, and then I raise my hands, and everyone else puts their hands down. Like, ah, psych, gotcha, you know, that, that I'm raising my hands. And, and so it's like, I want to fit in. I want to get it, but I just don't. I think another group of people here today, you say, man, my message on worship, I don't need this. I am already so all in with worship. I know I, I've just got this down. I love worship. I live, eat, sleep, and breathe it. You know what? I would be totally cool with church if we came in and all we did was worship and the message was like five minutes long. That would be so great. Well, I got bad news for you on today's message length time. It is, it is going to be substantially longer than five minutes. But some of you would say, yeah, that's me. I'm so in to worship, and I I get it, and I I think the third group of people here, you would say, you know what, Daniel, if if I'm just honest, I don't, I don't get it, and I, I don't really have that much of a desire to, actually, I'm in the opposite camp, and that if all we came in, and we didn't have music, and we just came in, and heard the message, and went home, and church was 30 minutes long, then that, that would be the best for me, and, and, you know, some of you, we hear that the opening song, that's not a cue for you to come in, that's a cue for you to go and grab your final cup, of coffee. You know, that's, that's where you're at in terms of worship. But I want to tell you something. This, this discussion that we have about worshiping and this time that we just spent together worshiping and song, understanding that, it, it's really important for us as Christ followers. In fact, the word worship appears in the Bible almost 500 times. Man, that is an awful lot of times for the word worship to appear in the Bible. And I, I have a fear in that I, I'm afraid that worship is being reduced in our modern Christian culture to a commodity. And what I mean by that is I I think we're just reducing worship to this thing that we buy, we evaluate, we criticize, and we judge. And you may have heard people, and I know none of you would say this, but you may have heard people say things like, well, the worship just wasn't very anointed today, or the worship wasn't very good today, or I like the worship at church A better than the worship at church B, or, you know, the worship didn't do much for me today. You might hear, and it's, when we say things like that, I think what happens is we're reducing worship to something 
that is instead of glorifying, lifting up God, it's just this commodity. It's this thing that we get to evaluate and judge and, and criticize. You know, we say something like, oh, you know, the, the guy with the beard that used to play guitar isn't here anymore, and ah, the worship just wasn't as good today. Or, man, I really love it when, when Pastor Eric sings the songs, and when pa- or, you know, I really love it when Pastor Daniel sings the songs. I, I don't know that anyone's actually ever said that, but I'm, I'm just going to believe that, that someone's... <laughs> Someone out there is, is, you know, maybe my mom will be here in the next service and she'll, she'll say, um, you know, oh, I really love it when that person's up there singing or I, you know, and, and then, but when we do that, I think what we're doing is we're reducing worship to a commodity that, that is just this thing that we have the power of that we get to judge and we get to evaluate and we get to be in control over. And I think that's a dangerous thing. So today I want to look about what, what is worship really about? What does it really mean? Why do we come together? Why do we lift our hands? How do we worship when we don't feel like it? How do we find work? I want to tell you something, guys. There's times when, when the worship team comes up, and man, it's, we're human. We don't live in some, like, you know, God bubble that, that nothing bad ever. We have to find worship. Where do we find that worship to come and to bring to God every Sunday? And how do we, how do, we do that? How do we tap into that? Why is this thing so important? So today we're going to be talking about worship, and uh, I'm going to be working with a thought today. If you're a note taker or you want to write something on, on Facebook or Twitter, I just encourage you to write this down. This is, our, this is our thought that we're going to work with today, that when I understand who God is and who I am, I can joyfully respond in worship. Now, can we, can we try to say that together just so I know you guys are with me in a way? Here we go. When I understand who God is and who I am, I can joyfully respond in worship. And so we're going to be looking today at this psalm, Psalm 100, and seeing what it means to worship. Because David in this psalm in verses 1 and 2, you can tell he comes right out of the gate talking about, man, sing with joy and worship with gladness and shout to God. And, and you may be here like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, David, you know, warm me up a little bit first. How do we get to this place of, of singing and joyful worship and this exuberance that we see at the beginning of this psalm? Well, I think we find some of the answers starting in verse 3. And verse 3, the first part of it simply says, acknowledge the Lord is God. See, the first thing we have to remember understanding that when we understand who God is and who I am, then I can joyfully respond and worship. The first thing we have to do is understand who God is. This is the first step in it. We have to understand who God is. And it's really healthy at times for us to stop and to reorient ourselves. You know, it's like if you were lost in the woods and you had a compass, you wouldn't just keep blindly going where you'd have to stop and you'd have to get your bearings and say, okay, there's this tree and, and this is north and you'd have to stop and get your bearings. Well, this is what I want us to do for a few moments today is to stop and get our bearings, reorient ourselves to who God is because I think we've lost sight of how big God is. A few weeks ago, for example, I was um, in Oklahoma City, and when I was driving in Oklahoma City, I don't know if you guys have been there and seen the Devon Tower that's downtown. It's a massive tower that they've built, and uh, so when I'm coming into the city, you can see the tower off in the distance, and when it's off in the distance, it doesn't look that big, right? You get out of your car, and you stand, you do that whole thing, you stand up, and you get a picture, and I'm bigger than the, you know, than the Devon Tower because I'm far away from it. When I tell you, church, this is what sin does in our life, is sin creates distance, you with me, creates distance between us and God. And what happens when we get distant from God is God looks smaller and I look bigger. Because the distance, 
But what happened when I got close, when we got downtown and we went to the Thunder game and, I got, and then I, I walked up to the Devon Tower and I stood up and looked at that thing. I went to everything started spinning. I thought my wife was going to have to catch me, you know, because I, I got that vertigo thing going on. It was so gigantic. And what happens is what worship does is worship brings us closer to God. And when that happens, we start to see that God is bigger than we thought he was. And we are, in fact, smaller than we think we are. Worship reorients us. Sin wants to separate and make God small. But worship, when we get close to God, makes us smaller and it makes God bigger. And that's what worship is about. So that's the reorientation that I want us to look at here. We have to remember that as we draw closer to God, we remember his size, we remember his glory, we remember his majesty, we remember his power, that he is the God of the universe. So often in the Psalms, if you've been reading through the Psalm God time, you'll see that the psalmists over and over again look to the night sky and they look to the stars and they look to the heavens for inspiration for their worship. And they say, oh man, you're, you're the God who created this and you're the God who created that. And I think that's so healthy for us to do. And I love how the prophet Isaiah put it in Isaiah chapter 40. And he says this, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? This is the God that we're talking about. And I think it's easy for us just to zip, zip by this and say, okay, yeah, God's big. He's the God of the universe. Okay, I, I get it. But we don't get it. <laughs> so I want to spend some time unpacking this. I want to spend some time camping out right here and unpacking what this means, this God of the universe. And I stole, I'm, I'm stole, borrowed, sampled some of this from Louis Giglio, so I want to make sure I give him credit. So imagine the earth is the size of a golf ball. Now, if the earth were the size of a golf ball, our sun, that thing that is beating us down right now in the Oklahoma summer, our sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Now, that didn't move any of you, I can tell. So, I brought a golf ball. So, imagine the earth, this thing that we're spinning, this is the size of a golf ball. So, find yourself. We're on here somewhere. Just look, you know, imagine the earth is the size of of a golf ball. Now, this is the earth. This is us. Somewhere on, you are on this golf ball somewhere right now. Imagine the earth is this. Our sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Now, now this isn't 15 feet. Let's, let's blow this up a little bit. There we go. So, so this is us spinning around against the sun. And somewhere you are on this ball. If the earth were a golf ball, you would be able to fit 950,000 golf balls inside the 15-foot diameter sun. That would be enough to fill an entire school bus. Now, I, I, you guys aren't with me. We're going to keep going, though. You're going to get there. You're going to get there. See, our sun, though, is just one star of many stars in, in our galaxy. And I, want, I, I just want to share a few of them. Once again, because we're talking about a God of the universe. And I think so often we can boil God down to he's just the God of the earth. He's just the God of my problems. He's just this little God. But he's so much bigger than us. We need to reorient ourselves here. So let me tell you about another star. This star is called uh, Betelgeese or can also be pronounced Betelgeuse. So you better believe because we're at Fort Church, we're going to call it Betelgeuse. Um, Betelgeuse is 427 
light years away. Now, Betelgeuse is so massive that it is twice the size. Now, you're going to think I'm going to say twice the size of the sun, but Betelgeuse is twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. It's that massive. If the Earth were a golf ball, Betelgeuse would be the size of six Empire State Buildings stacked one on top of the other. Now, you guys still aren't with me, so after service today, get some plane tickets, gather up your family, fly to New York, take a golf ball with you, set the golf ball down on the ground in front of the Empire State Building, back up from it, and look up at the Empire State Building and imagine five more of those bad guys on top of one another, and that is Beetlejuice, and this is the earth, and somewhere you and I are spinning around on this. Beetlejuice is so big that if the earth were the size of a golf ball, you could fill up the Superdome with it 3,000 times. Let me tell you about another star. You guys, I, I'm feeling some of you are starting to track with me. Some, another star called Musifi. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, Musifi would be the size of two Golden Gate bridges stacked end to end. Some of you guys still aren't with me, so after you, after you get done at the Empire State Building, book another plane ticket, go from New York to San Francisco, take your golf ball, put it at the end of the Golden Gate Bridge, go up into Oakland somewhere high where you can see it, and look down at your golf ball and look at the Golden Gate Bridge and imagine another one at the end of it, and that's Musifi, and this is the earth, and somewhere you and I are spinning around on this. Musifi is so big that you could fit 2.7 quadrillion earths inside of it. Now, we haven't talked about this number quadrillion yet, but it is a mind-blowingly big number, and I want to demonstrate how big a quadrillion is. So, you know, we, we kind of know the order of numbers. Now, some of you, are, you're going to hear math, and you're going to freak out. Stay with me. Don't check out. You're going to be okay. So, you know, there's, there's a million, right? And the next one up from a million is a billion, and the next one up from a billion is a trillion, and then after a trillion, we get to a quadrillion. So I want to demonstrate how big this number is. So a million, I think most of us can get our head around a million, you know, a million dollars. When we were, so a million seconds ago, 12 days ago. So a million seconds ago, 12 days ago, okay? So a billion seconds ago, some of you are like, okay, I'm, I'm tracking. That's probably last year, maybe, maybe September Maybe, two, maybe even a year and a half ago. A billion seconds ago is September 1986. A trillion seconds ago, some of you are like, okay, all right, 1800s. Maybe some of you are like, no, no, maybe even a little further back than that, like Jesus' time. Yeah, yeah, that's probably sounds right. A trillion seconds ago, 29,600 B.C., 29,000 years ago, a quadrillion seconds ago, 30 million years ago, and you can fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside of Musifi. Can I go one more? Let me do one more for you guys. So the last one, the last one is called Canis Majoris. 
And I don't know much about language, but that sounds like the big dog to me. If the earth were a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest. Some of you, get, you just saved yourself a flight to Nepal, some of you. <laughs> would be the size, you could fit seven quadrillion earths inside of Canis Majoris. That's enough. So fly, fly back from Nepal to Oklahoma, that's enough for you to cover the entire state of Texas with golf balls 22 inches deep. And in that state, there's one golf ball. That's us. And you're spinning around on that. Church, this, this is the God that measures the universe with his hand. This is the God that we worship. And this is why when people encounter, you know why Isaiah wrote that about him? It's because he had an encounter with him in chapter six where he saw God in his glory and he thought, I am a dead man. The apostle John saw the glorified Jesus in the book of Revelation. And this was the guy that walked with Jesus and he fell at his feet as though dead. Moses saw the backside of God's glory. As God passed over, Moses just saw the afterburn of God's glory and his face shone for days and they had to cover him up because he lit up like a light bulb and no one could even look at his face. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we measure, that measures the universe in his hand. And, and this is a God that we have to meet on his terms. See, in verse four, it says that we come into his gates with thanksgiving, and we enter his courts with praise. And we get it backwards because so oftentimes we demand that God come into our gates and he enter our courts and he, do, and he does what we want him to do. But doesn't it seem silly in the, in the light of the expanse of the universe and the fact that God measures that universe with his hands and he's got that whole thing running and buzzing and he's in control of all that. Isn't that so laughable that we can come before God and we start advising God on how he should do things? And we start offering God counsel. And we start telling God the way, and we bring our, our complaints. And we bring our judgment. And we bring our flow charts and our plans. And, and God, but what about, God, have you considered doing it? This, isn't that so crazy that we would do that? But that's what happens when we, we demand that God come into our, our courts and into our gates instead of us entering into his gates and into his courts, coming to him on his terms, coming to him on his conditions. Can I, can I tell you something? I, I am just death, deathly afraid that we are losing sight in the modern church of the holiness and the reverence for God and that we are making worship all about us. Can I soapbox here for just a second? That, that I'm afraid in some of the modern worship songs, it paints God as the crazy ex-girlfriend, you know, the, the, the character on YouTube that got the crazy ex-girlfriend that like God can't exist apart from us, that he's insecure without us, that somehow if we're not with him, that he's incomplete, and if we leave him, that he's going to stalk us, that he's going to run us down, that he's going to be peering through our windows at night, that he's going to be doing all, that he just, he can't leave us, he's got to have us, and I want to tell you, and just like, and it's like he can't exist apart from us, but that's not who God is, see, that's us painting ourselves in the center of the story, but let me tell you something, the Bible is not our story. We're not the center of the universe. We're not the hero. We're not the one that the Bible and, and the whole story of redemption and salvation is about. It's his story. It's God's story. It's God's plan. And he invites us to be a part of it, sure. But we're not the central theme and the story he is. It's about him and it's about his glory. 
And this is the God that we come and worship. And I once heard someone say that, you know, God bankrupted heaven to save us. Man, God has never been bankrupt. God never will be bankrupt. God is never going to be bankrupt. He is fully complete. He's fully sufficient. He's fully sustaining. He's all we need. He's all we could hope for. There's no lack in him. There's no drought in him. There's no doubt. God is everything that we could possibly need. He's fully sustaining. He is ever, and, and, and we're not the center of that story. He is. So the next part is what makes this so amazing. It is what we find in the rest of verse 3, is that he made us and we are his. That we are his people, the sheep of his past. Remember, we're talking about how you know, once we know who God is and who we are, we can joyfully respond to him in worship. We have to know who we are. And it's so easy now in light, in light of this, you know, in the size of the universe, we say, man, how could God even know who we are? It's, it's like when I was in high school, I had this girl that I sat next to in a class my junior year, and, um, you know, we were friends, but then senior year, she, like, got her braces off and, and um, you know, got hot and stuff, and then all of a sudden she was popular, and, and so she wouldn't talk to me anymore because she got too big for me, right? And then, um, well, look what you missed out on now. Anyways, um, but we can, it's, it's easy for us to think about, you know, God's, God's gotten too big. Like, how could he know us? How could he care about us in that? But I want to tell you something. That I think one of the greatest miracles and mysteries of the Bible is that this God of the universe, the God who measures the universe with his hands, knows us. He made us, and we're the people of his pasture. It's so incredible. I want to tell you something, that, that you are loved and you are known by a God who, who, not because he has to, not because he's insecure and incomplete without you, but because he loves you, invites you in to his story. In Psalm 139, 14, the psalmist says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. In Matthew 10, 30, Jesus speaking, he says, the very head, hairs on your head are all numbered. In Ephesians 2, 10, Paul writes, and he says, for we are God's masterpiece. We're God's master In the light of all creation, we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I want to tell you something. This is where worship happens, church. It happens when there's a collision and a beautiful coming together of God's grandness and his grace, of his power in the universe and his presence in our life, of the fear of God, of Almighty God, but the friendship that he extends us. This is where worship happens. It happens because there is a God who loves us and knows us by name, and he formed each and every one of us, and he doesn't just keep us off in the distance, but we're the sheep of his pasture, and he guards us, and he protects us, and he watches over us. This God that doesn't have to, this God that is not incomplete without us, but this God that loves us, little old us, enough that he sent his son to die for us, that he says, I don't want to have eternity without you. I want you to be invited in to store, and I want relationship with you. This is the God that we serve, and I believe worship happens when we know who God is and we know who we are, that we're nothing and yet we're loved by him, that this is where we can joyfully respond in worship. I want to invite the band to come back up. See, in the rest of that chapter in Psalm 100, he says, Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing 
with joy, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Church, I want you to remember that God is infinite, and he is inviting you in to an infinite story. And so no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're feeling, how do I worship when I don't feel like it, Daniel? No matter what you're going through, that God is writing an infinite story for you. And and his love for you is not measured by just what you feel right now. His love for you is not measured just by what's going on in your life at this exact moment. It's not fair to judge an infinite God by a small little sliver of time. But what he's doing is he's writing an eternal story in your heart, and he's writing an eternal story of his love and his greatness in my heart, a story that doesn't just end when you croak, but a story that continues for all generations. And this is the God that we serve, and this is where worship comes from. We understand who he is, his grandeur, his greatness, his power, his mystery, his infiniteness. When he understands that, then that comes and somehow reaches out to us in all of our frailty, in all of our brokenness, in all of our sin, in all of our shame. When he comes and he reaches out to us, and then how can we do anything but respond to him joyfully in worship and church? That's why some of you, you wonder, why do people raise their hands? Why do we stand when we do this? It's hardwired into us. When you see something great happen, what happens? You don't just stand, sit in your seat and go, oh, that was cool. But man, when your team scores that touch and when, when the thing happens, you come up out of your seat, you stand, you clap. You know, when, when that runner's going by, what do we do? We all do this. Why? This is just the posture that God's wired into us. And why do we worship? Why do we lift our hands? Why do we shout? Why do we sing? Why do we lift our voice? Why do we do all of those things? It's because God has done something so great in us that he's done something so beautiful, so remarkable, so noteworthy that we can't just sit down and applaud quietly, but we have to get up out of our seat. We have to raise our hands. We have to lift our voice. We have to shout because the King of Kings, the God of the universe sees us and he knows us and he loves us and he calls us by name and he invites us in to his story. This is the God that we serve and this is where joyful worship comes from. Let's stand. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand. Church, no matter what happens in your darkest hour, he is there with you. No matter what you're going through, he is bigger. No matter what mountain you face, he towers over that mountain. No matter what dark valley you enter into, he goes into that valley to find you. This is our God. This is how we worship him. Church, let's do that. Let's joyfully respond to who he is for all he's done, for all he's going to do. For all he sees us, let's respond to him, church.